Grab your popcorn and silence those cell phones because the show is about to start. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Rick Blaine is an award-winning film critic featured on thebigscreen.net.org and has been highlighted on over 75 unreleased independent film posters in less than 12 different countries. Nick Brown. He's been the high school projectionist for the AV Club for over nine semesters and can be heard nightly at the theater talking loudly in the row behind you about the film being screened. And now, they're joining forces. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. We've made it and we are back around. It's another round of Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Welcome back to the podcast. We're glad to be here again. I think that last one required us to take a little bit of extra time to get ready for the next one. When you do a two-parter like that, Dave, it only seems appropriate. Well, we're not just kind of lollygagging our way into another episode here either. We've got, let's put it this way, we put a little thought into this one. Quite a bit of thought, actually. Yes, so we hope you enjoy it. This is Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. We are sponsored by the Bemidji Theater here in town, and we're happy to have them on board as a sponsor. Don't forget about their $5 movie nights that they have on Tuesdays. And, of course, many, many of the current movies that are out, you can catch them at the Bemidji Theater, a great place to go catch a movie and get a bite to eat in the process. I did it last night. I was there Deadpool 2 just last night. All right, I great want to spot. get I want to get your quick thoughts on Deadpool 2 in a moment. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm the guy that got Deadpool 2. I'm Dave Brooks. Yes, so guy who saw Deadpool 2. I'm really curious since we're getting the podcast started and we often talk about what's current in the movies just as an aside, when we start podcasts, what did you think of Deadpool 2? I liked it a lot. Um, like I said, I only saw it last night, so I'm not prepared to rank it better or worse than the first one. But it was right up there. It certainly didn't dull its edge. Um, one of the things going into the movie behind the scenes was that T.J. Miller, who directed the first one, didn't come back for this one. And some of the rumors, or not even rumors, has pretty much been confirmed. He and Ryan Reynolds had a disagreement over the tone of the movie. And Ryan Reynolds really kind of wanted to do what they did the first one again. And I would say, based on what I saw last night, Reynolds was right. It was a great movie. Deadpool is the superhero movie that zigs to the zag, it feels oh, yeah. like. Is is that the way that you would describe it? Because it's it's almost a parody of superhero movies. It's a parody of movies in general and just conventional Plot and storytelling is what it feels like. And at the same time, they also go to the reaches of rated R comedy. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I know you haven't seen either of them yet, but um, it is, it's actually a legitimate superhero movie. It's got an origin story like anything else. It actually exists in the same timeline and universe as the X-Men. And they do cross over a little bit. Right. Um, but the movie breaks the fourth wall. It knows that it's a movie. Um, very self-aware. Oh, extremely yes. self-aware. And it's in uh, the end credits for Deadpool 2, I'm not going to give it away because the movie's only barely out, are worth waiting for. Uh, Mid-credits stingers. You don't have to wait till the very, very end. I'll save you that. I found that out last night. We had it to the very end, and that was the end of the movie. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, uh, the, yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic movie. It really, really, in a, in a Ferris Bueller kind of way. He'll look to the camera so often and... And, you know, huh, this was an interesting bit of foreshadowing that might play off later in the movie, do you think? Move forward with the rest of the plot. Uh-huh. So it's a fun movie. It does not take itself seriously, but it is as gritty a superhero movie as you can get. The humor, um, the, the gore, you know, Deadpool can't die. So he would frequently be in situations that would probably kill you. Yes. And yet manages to live. Yet they make it work its way through in a way that is fun and entertaining to watch. 
They also seem to really, at least in their marketing, know what they're all about too with Deadpool because they 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 parodied off I don't know how many different movies to get ready for this movie with their marketing and with doing really silly things that went that went against the grain and everything. It's yeah, it, it, it by all indications it sounds like this one has met or even surpassed in some circles the first one in terms of if you liked Deadpool the original you're going to really like Deadpool 2 and maybe like it even more based on the indications we've gotten. Pulled in 301, I think was the number I saw last, million dollars over its first weekend, which is a globally? little... Globally? Globally. It was a little less than the first one. But still, fantastic reviews, great movie. Um, obviously, 300-some million at the box office over a weekend is a big, big hit. And I'm sure that will do very well then going into Memorial Day weekend, though... It may run competition. into competition from a certain smuggler who's going to be flying around outer space once again in a galaxy far, far away this coming weekend. Solo, a Star Wars story, is coming up this coming weekend, May 25th. It will be released. I know I am planning to go see it the opening weekend. I know you are probably going to try to see it the opening weekend I'm as long either, as it works. I'm either going to see it uh, preview Thursday night or I'm going to have to wait till the other half of the weekend, uh, the backside of the weekend, because we're going to be uh, doing some stuff. So it's not, I won't be seeing it during the weekend. So it'll be before or after. The bead that I'm getting on Solo is that it's pretty good from, from the critics. It's pretty good. And... If you like Star Wars and if you enjoy an adventure for Star Wars, you will be entertained with this one. And and also that the cast oozes charisma. I've heard good things about it. Um, I try to stay away from movies I really, really, really want to see. I really don't read the reviews, but I'll get impressions. And the impressions are thumbs up overall. Yeah. And I'll look more into reviews once I've seen it, and I'm spoiler-free. So should be an interesting one. I think it'll do well. I'm hoping that it does well. Yeah, we've got Solo, and then next year we will get to the conclusion of this latest trilogy that Star Wars has come along with. And then we've got what looks like is going to be an Obi-Wan Kenobi, Old Man Ben type of story uh, in between... The rumors Revenge are picking of the up. And, and A New Hope. That's what it looks like it's going to be. And then the canvas is open for the Star Wars universe. And that's where I'm really uncertain what I'm going to do about watching Star Wars movies. Because what happens when they branch off and start creating blank canvas types of stories and in other reaches of the galaxy? I don't know how much I'll stick around for it if they start to get into that kind of realm. It's. I, it's it's really I'm uncertain about okay. that. Okay, you know I'm, I look forward to it as long as they're good. Bring it. You know, um, one of the issues you can run into with something like the Avengers is that there's so much backstory. In fact, I've got, uh, with the exception of Thor, I've got all the first phase movies here. Yeah, I wondered why you had brought those in. Somebody on staff has never really seen them, so he just went and saw the new Avengers movie and has no idea how anything leads into anything. I was like, well, you, no wonder you're lost. You have start at the beginning, so I, I'm bringing in some old DVDs to loan them, and he can uh, catch up and start backwards through the Avengers thing. So there's so much to keep track of. Star Wars could get to that point too. Yes. Now you got the Skywalker saga, which is going to conclude, and this new um, trilogy they're going to work on will not be connected, as far as we're being told, in any way, shape, or form right. to what's really come before. And that's I think that's not a bad thing. Well, you've got all of Phase One there for starters. That's 
Minus that's, four. That's just phase one. My gosh, it's going to take four a, movies. a long time then when you get into the other phases and all the movies that, mm. that ex- they expound upon. Secondly, uh, when it comes to the Star Wars stories, one friend of mine suggested, why don't they just go back to the Old Republic? And that people who have a knowledge of Star Wars, at least, will come in knowing that, hey, this has some cool backstory building into everything and it's it's far enough back that it's not totally connected and yet it still is connected to the star wars universe and i thought that was a decent idea i've got issues with going back all the time i mean i'll, I'll go and i'll watch solo and that's awesome but i think there's times where um move forward not backward i'll give you a parallel i'm a star trek fan also star trek's newest incarnation is they're going back both the small screen and the big screen the big screen Star Trek movies, good as they are, it's Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, kind of rebooted in a new universe. The new show on on uh, CBS All Access Streaming, Star Trek Discovery, it goes back to about 10 years before the original series. Why don't we, if we're going to keep going, let's move forward like they did with The Next Generation. We're going to fast forward about 80 years, and we'll just pick it up from there. How about we go 80 years into the future? Why do we have to go back, and then you start running into continuity issues, and how come this Enterprise doesn't look like the original Enterprise? Why? Well, because it's new and it's modern, and that still doesn't fit with the narrative. You're just tripping over your own toes. Stop that. Just move forward. I mean, everything's got to go back and explore an origin story. Move forward. That's why I thought with the Old Republic, you don't run into as many continuity problems when you go that far back into something like that. And you can still have a blank canvas to create and come up with things. I'm sure there will be some people out there who will gripe about this or that, but it still has enough of a blank canvas. And it's a topic that is going to be familiar rather than saying we're going to put you in a completely new section of this galaxy and we're going to slap this on with the Star Wars story to it and say, here, enjoy. If it's done well, um, there's no reason that I wouldn't be there right then and there. And, you know, I've got a toddler at home. When he gets a little older, he'll start learning about Star Wars. I would love to take him on some opening preview night if his grades are good to opening night Star Wars. Might be a late night, but if he earns it, we're there. You know, he could have his own generation of Star Wars, and that would be awesome. Um, I'm not going to knock people for their versions of stuff. Um, I just want to see something entertaining, most foremost. Um, something new, something original, something that's going to bring something new to the canvas. The new Jurassic World movie that's coming out. It just looks like an excuse to get him back on Dinosaur Island. You know, it doesn't look like it's breaking anything new. So in that realm, it's like Jurassic Park 3. It's nothing new. If Star Wars can give us something new, great. Otherwise, it's just a space battle. That's the challenge, though. Can they present something new that's, to us? That's, that's going be- to be for them to determine. That's the best part about Star Wars. Look at Star Trek, how vast that canvas is. Certainly, there's places that they can go and interesting things. But if they're going to cling to what is so established, it's still got to be Star Wars. You have a formula there. You can't come up with something completely different and call it Star Wars. So it has to stay within the neighborhood, but it can certainly stray on a long leash and definitely still be Star Wars. Star Wars is a Western in space. It is. is. what it is. How many Westerns are there that cover different territory and different ground? There's certainly room to do that with Star Wars. That's a great point, Dave. I think that's a really great point. Yeah, there is that that openness to it with being in space and with more stories to tell. The question is, how will they approach those stories when Star Wars has been established under a certain formula 
for so long. And so, will they be good? That's the other very big question. Which leads us into a nice segue. It sure does. I was about to say that very same thing. Today for our topic, uh, perhaps you've seen it in some way, shape, or form with whatever title we're going to determine after the fact. Funny enough, they know the title. We don't yet. Um, we're going to be discussing maybe one of the toughest challenges that people who really love getting into ranking movies face. And that is how do you qualitatively try to come up with a rank that is going to be put together and quantitatively do so with, with certain numbers that, that you have. How do you determine a rank on movies that is going to have some numbers and some substance behind it? So that is the challenge that, that we've put together here. Actually, Dave has put together this, this framework. I offered up a couple of suggestions here and there for, for going on from it, but it's at least an attempt to say, let's put some semblance of a ranking together on movies. If you want to use this as a formula for ranking, maybe movies within a genre or movies within a side-by-side -side comparison that you want to do with a friend, or if you want to undergo a what would be a years and years and years long process of trying to rank every single movie, this could be something that maybe you would use. Well, let's let me put it this way. Let's let's start off with a couple of caveats right off the bat. First of all, thought has been put into this. That being said, it's not entirely thought through. They're going to be you know, plot holes. And well, what about this? Good question. Somebody... It's very open to interpretation. Yeah. This ranking system. This is an opportunity, I suppose, for somebody that's listening that knows about statistics and websites and things and wants to design his own app. Go for it. Somewhere Metacritic got its start. Somewhere Rotten Tomatoes got its start. Maybe this is the first step for something else to get an as comprehensive and accurate. Uh, how do you quantify a movie being good or bad? How many times have we gone to a movie that everyone wants to go see, like Deadpool 2? And let's say you go in and you find out Deadpool 2 was not a good movie. It was a very good movie, by the way. I'm just coming up with an example. Right. How many times do great movies come in under the radar, nobody sees them, and then you find out later, that was a really good movie. Must be seen on the big screen. Oh, I missed it because it wasn't, you know. So how many times do you see a movie that everyone is talking about, well, it's the highest grossing movie ever. Yeah, but tickets on average price now are $7. It used to be back in the day, a nickel literally would get you into the movie theater. How about some of those movies? How do movies like Gone with the Wind, which when you adjust for inflation over the decades, is the highest grossing movie ever? And what were theater ticket prices in 1930, whatever? Probably less than a dollar. Yet That's it 1939 raised... when that movie came out, by Nin the way. 1939. How did it make that kind of movie, especially with no home video market to speak of until the late 70s? How does that work? Um, you also got to think about, you know, critical reviews, you know, by most estimates, and I know this will be a controversial thing to say, but by most estimates, the best reviewed movie ever is generally Citizen Kane. There's, you know, most people think that's the greatest movie ever made and everyone's got a different version. Personally, I've seen it. I think it's a fantastic movie. I think Shawshank is better, but that's just me. So how do you quantify some of this and this is a non-mathematician speaking you're right so i am just going to tell you this is the first point in the in a direction maybe it's somewhat misguided <laughs> but let's let's give a little thought to what how do you really say what is a good movie so here's where we started uh you had a possible point system that maybe could be awarded for each category and that would be one to 100 that would be avoided now is that for each individual piece within the category, like for instance, the first yeah. one is box office. So you'd 
So you'd give initial run and then rank based on that from 1 to 100? So if we come up with a category, a particular category, whichever the category is, it gets a rating of 1 to 100. Once you're done, let's say you've got 10 categories and you get a 1 to 100 score in each one. Why don't you average them out, come up with a number, and there's your score, you know, something like that. So you'll have a triple-digit score final for the movie. And because there's a lot of room for wiggle room in a triple-digit score. You get 100, well, that's pretty darn good. Um, there's going to be things where when you break it down and you take a look at deeper than just the triple digit number, it'll tell you its strengths and its numbers. Um, so I also thought about maybe having a base of zero and then you either subtract 50 or add 50, but I don't know if subtracting is the way to go because every movie, even the worst movie you've ever seen, adds something, even if it's just, you know, drunken conversation on movie night. We don't want to go This movie's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. We don't want to go that. It's going to add something, maybe not much. But it's going to add something. So right. let's stay positive. So that would be my suggestion of every single category gets a rating of 1 to 100. So we started then with box office. And box office is a really good one to quantitatively do a comparison between one movie and another. I, I think the challenge that comes with that, though, is you've got some that are in the stratosphere of the Six hundred, seven hundred, eight hundred million dollars in terms of money that they've made, and then you've got others that are in the tens of millions, or maybe even yeah. single-digit millions in terms of what they've made. And then you're trying to put a one-to-one hundred ranking based on that, and that's that's going to be the challenge that will come yeah. with that. But but then there's also adjusted for inflation, and it's important, I think, that if you're going to compare movies. You might as well adjust for inflation right from the get-go if you want to do a comparison like this and say, okay, let's let's try to, to compare it based on that. So for starters, number one, initial run. And what did they make during their initial run is important to keep in mind because some movies have gotten re-releases, which we'll get to in a moment, but initial run. And then you said, do we separate per $25 million or so in order to help create different tiers that maybe we give different points to? And then also, how do you separate foreign and domestic? You know, I thought it would be interesting to do that because not every movie that's a hit was great in the U.S. Maybe it was a great American movie that got a really good response in the worldwide box office but wasn't such a hit in the U.S. and vice versa. Some are great here in the U.S., not so much overseas. It's interesting to know which that is. When you're just looking at a total box office haul, it's just, you know, hey, $300 million, that's great. Okay, but was that just in, you know, countries not us? It'd be good to know where it was strong. If it's strong everywhere, well, then you know it's truly a worldwide phenomenon kind of movie. And as far as the increment, I just came up with a number. Just, you know, got to start somewhere. We could certainly wiggle room it. It's like Wikipedia. This will never be done entirely. It should always be in flux to some degree. So what would you say then if you were trying to put a 1 to 100 number on, let's say, a movie that does extremely well in the U.S., $300 million or something, but only gets like $50 million of business overseas, would you say that that one maybe gets a plus 10 a plus five, something like that that gets added on to com- as, as a bonus for being a well-done one domestically. It could be vice versa, too. One that does really well, foreign, a really good foreign film that does well, but maybe doesn't do any business here domestically. Do you give it a plus five? Or, or do you say, I want to see the overall body of work and, and rate you based on that? you got to think about some movies that are really good movies might make $30 million total in their run. You know, that's fine. You know, with a $10 million budget, that's not bad. Um, Then you get some movies like Avengers, Deadpool. They're going to pull down a billion dollars, you know. 
How many movies are released annually and how many of those make a billion dollars at the box office? It's the minority. They're the big, 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 big hits. But is that the only ones that should count? So I think you should almost put a cap on the box office total because the billion dollars will blow everybody out of the out of the door. So I just started somewhere and I came up with a number. Yep. I thought, how about um, every $25 million you get at the box office is 10 points. You break that down, then it's every $2.5 million you get a point. Now that caps you at $250 million. But if you're going to do the foreign and the domestic box office, well, then you do it twice. That'll cap you at $500 million. So that, I mean, it's just a place to start. We could certainly revise yes. that. But you're going to get a better representation. Now, granted, Deadpool already is past that one weekend, and it's topped out in, in both categories. Um, but you're going to get smaller movies that are going to get a higher number because of that. Speaking of those smaller movies, I think a way to, to give them some more credit, perhaps, if you're going to quantitatively rank them, is to say, let's give you a certain number based on what your intake was beyond your box office, beyond your budget, what your intake was at the box office. If you do a certain amount of business beyond that, let's say you get a certain amount of points for for doing by 200, 300, 400% better than your, your budget that you came in with to make the movie. That's not bad. You know, you get movies like um, the original Halloween for a long time was the highest grossing movie based on budget. And it had a budget of like nothing. And it pulled in millions and millions and millions of dollars. It's still going. They're doing a certain sort of a sequel remakey kind of thing this coming October. Um, I mean, clearly it's got a legacy. Blair Witch Project was another one. Horror movies tend to be in this category because you can make a low budget horror movie yes. easy. Um, so yeah, I think that's not a bad idea. You should have something like that. What's the ratio versus the rest? Um, so move it together. We got a long list. We'll keep we'll, we'll keep moving yes. on. But and for those of you that are, what, what about those billion dollar earners? We're not done yet. We're going to get back to money here. Right. But for the initial run, that would be it. It caps per each one. So I think you should do foreign and domestic separately. And just to start with a number, every $25 million you raise, you get get 10 points. In some cases, you get re-releases for movies. Gone with the Wind has had re-releases in theaters, for instance. So you could do something like that. But you said limit it to 10 years post-release in terms of re-releases. I would say limit it maybe to just one re-release rather than like two, three, four further on down the line. Well, some uh, like even this this past weekend, uh, Stanley Kubrick's 2001: A Space Odyssey got re-released. Right, it's one of the all-time great sci-fi movies. It changed sci-fi movies from something cartoonish and Flash Gordon-esque into something you know that looked plausible in the in 1960 whatever. It looked like maybe that's what life would be in 2001. Now, we're past that, and it's not quite, but still. Um, it was gorgeous, gorgeous movie. So it's re-released. Should that count toward its tally? At what point do you cap it? Because this is where you run into things. Gone with the Wind it gets re-released forever, and it came out in 1939. Um, how are other movies that are newer going to catch up to that? You know, Back to the Future released the entire trilogy again when that date in 2015 hit. Yes. Should that count 30 years later? At what point do you kind of cut off the re-releases? But at the same time, 70 years later and it's back in theaters, there's a reason it's back in theaters. You're not going to see Summer Camp Nightmare, some trashy horror movie back in theaters 40 years later. It's already forgotten and gone. Maybe the last print is gone. I'd give maybe a bonus of a couple of points there, but I don't know if that would factor quite as much into the average, unless unless you do want to factor it into the average, because some movies have gotten re-releases 
Some haven't. So if since this is an average for the box score category that you're getting, maybe you factor that in, but maybe you maybe you'd be a little more stringent or a little more strict when the it comes idea to this. is is it doesn't allow box office to completely dominate how good a movie you are in the eyes of the public. You know, Gone yeah. with the Wind has got 70-some years of traction here to go. You know, what about, say, Deadpool 2? I'm not comparing those two movies. One of them just came out and made $300 million. The other one came out in 1939. There's got to be a way to try to equalize it a little bit. Adjusting for inflation is one way. Putting a cap on your, your initial run. What was the initial run adjusted inflation for Gone with the Wind? I'm asking this question off the top of my head. I don't know the answer. But, I mean, when the ticket prices were at $1 tops in 1939, probably less than that, um, then what was its initial run when you adjust for inflation? How yep. was its big weekend? Those are things that should matter. And maybe it shouldn't even be box office numbers. Maybe it should be number of tickets sold based on number of theaters there were in any market, if there's even numbers for that. Then there's bombs and hits, hype versus quality. How did it actually turn out? And a great way that you could measure that is by looking at Box Office Mojo, and they have great indications on how a movie does from week to week with how did it start out its opening weekend, and then what was it like its second weekend? What kind of a drop-off percentage-wise was there? Was it a steep, steep decline? And if, especially if you look at that movie and you look at kind of the reviews and the ratings that it got, which we'll get to those here in a little bit, you can then determine, hey, was this a bomb of a movie that maybe started out really well in terms of at the box office got a lot of hype, but then its quality was terrible and it ended up tailing off majorly. This is one of those, like we said, we don't want to go negative, but I think there should be, in some cases, instances of a bonus or a penalty. And I think in this case, a penalty would come in. Because take, for example, how many movies, Spider-Man 3, Transformers, Revenge of the Fallen, a lot of hype, a big part of a big franchise, came out and the movie just underwhelmed. Even fans of the movie were like, eh, if you're going to have a Transformers night, you might skip Revenge of the Fallen. You might just do Spider-Man 1 and 2 and then go to the reboots and just leave Emo's Black Spider-Man out. Yes. It was a wreck of a movie. So the box office was big. But the movie wasn't very good. Should there be some sort of an equalizer there? Call it, you know, maybe depending on um, how big of a drop was it. How, what kind of a gap between the box office and the reviews are there? If it's a huge gap, then maybe there's some sort of a way to quantify that. I think drop from week to week is a really good way to measure that. I think that could be a great way to do it. Plus, since we're we're kind of continuing to mold and shape this as we go, yeah. I would say put a percentage drop. On it, sure. Out of if you're going to go one to one hundred, wherever it's at there currently, you would say maybe with a cap of ten percent, either way, good or bad, or or perhaps in some cases, you know, it could be like cap of fifteen or twenty percent for for climb or decline. Say we're going to cap it there. If this was really bad, you get a twenty percent drop in your overall rating that we're going to give to you at the end of this with box office if it had a steep decline of some kind but you could put whatever number that you want on on a, a size like that of how much you want to add or decline same with re-releases then so this is where i'd be cautious though because right now you've got a perfect situation we talked about which could skew these numbers deadpool 2 is out right now getting great reviews good great numbers what's coming out this very next weekend is the new star wars movie those numbers for Deadpool are going to drop big time because a lot of people are going to go see Star Wars because it's the next big thing. There's every other week. Summer movies are hard to do that with. I almost think you got to put the reviews tied in somehow. It was the movie yes. any good. 
you know. So everyone goes to see it, and then they find out, oh, this movie was horrible, you know. Well, that's almost where the truth lies. That, that's going to put some human emotion and some some critical thinking into the use of these numbers and the actual application of these numbers. But I think that's really important to yeah. point out. So, yeah. So box office alone isn't the best one i think and at the yeah. same time on the other end of the spectrum the best example i can think of of going the other way is shawshank redemption i'm looking at my uh, auto correct here den it was supposed to be does not equal dna does not equal so bombs do not always equal bad movies hits do not always equal good movies shawshank redemption is the best example i can think of is one of my favorite movies one of the best movies ever made in my opinion and it bombed at the box office. It did. Forrest Gump won Best Picture that year, and people look at that compared to Shawshank, and it's a debate, of course. Well, Shawshank totally should have won Best Picture. It bombed. If you don't know, it's an actually a short, st- a short story by Stephen King. Stephen King doesn't write movies like Shawshank. All of his other stories are supernatural, attacking dogs, and so forth, Indian burial grounds, you know. And it's not a Stephen King story-esque like in what? tone. And it's a prison movie. Yes. So, And it's got a weird title. So a lot of people were like, I don't know. And then it comes out later. People get to see it when it's on cable. And this is a really good movie. So the movie bombed at the box office but did tremendous business afterward. And it is still regarded as one of the best movies. Should it receive a bonus for that? I think that's worth keeping in mind and would be good for adding a bonus percentage of some kind. Scene two, if you reach $500 million as a, yeah. as a total at the box office, do you give a percentage bonus for that? If you go beyond that, do you add a little bit more on? I think you could certainly do that, maybe of like a, a 1% to 5% kind of increase, maybe a, a 1% to 10% kind Something. of increase. You know, yeah. if, you're, if you're making a billion dollars, it's not an example of Spider-Man 3 where a lot of people went and saw it and found out the movie wasn't any good. They stopped going. You don't get north of, say, $500 million in today's box office if the movie was hyped but wasn't very good on delivery. You know, say what you want about The Last Jedi. That's with, a good number choice, I yeah, think. Yeah, something like that. And every $500 million you get, you get some sort of a bonus. So you cap the initial box office run. Run at say 250 per domestic or foreign, 500 total when you put them together. And beyond that, you should be recognized. There's a reason that The Avengers is one of the best movies ever and got to north of a billion dollars. It was a good movie, you know, the first one in particular. It should be rewarded as such, and it should factor in because really what you're talking about is people wanted to see this movie. And not only did they go see the movie, they kept going to see the movie because it was that good. They bought it on DVD and so on and so forth because it was good. They wanted it themselves. So money talks, but it cannot be the loudest voice because every year you're going to get the highest grossing movie ever because we're not adjusting for inflation. Ticket prices go up, box office goes up, but the movies may not be as good as some of the originals. And that is where reviews come in, and that's the next category. Before we get there, Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater, and we're glad to have them on board as a sponsor of the podcast. The Bemidji Theater, great place to go here in town to catch a theater located right out by the airport on Highway 2. Now let's take a real quick sidebar here. Talking about the Bemidji Theater and all movie theaters, a lot of these records that they'll put up and numbers they'll put up they're really great to help market a movie that's out there hey this was the highest grossing movie of all summers ever that's a great marketing ploy but after you know how are they marketing last jedi these days it's done it's over the movie came out it's on dvd it's done you know so you don't need to hype it or market anymore it is what it is but what kind of movie is it really and that's kind of the heart of what this is getting to when all the hype and the marketing is over 
how good is it really? Correct. That's the point. Review score is is a good one that you can use. It's tricky, but there are ample opportunities. If we're going on a 1 to 100 scale that we are giving, you've got a lot of, of different reviews that you can pull from. I would say there are three I think that would work for an average review score. IMDb, Metacritic, and Rotten Tomatoes. I think if you take a 1 to 100 number, like for instance with Rotten Tomatoes, you've got your 1 to 100 number right there that you can use. So I would say go off of that. IMDb, you can easily take that decimal point, you move it over 1. Like if it's an 8.2 out of 10 on Metacritic, you move it over 1. You've got an 82. Metacritic, you can do the same kind of thing. So I think if you take all three of those and you average it out, you've got a pretty good number out of there that you can get for a critical review. Sure. And then if you want to factor in audience review, well, IMDb does that because it's audience score rating. Rotten Tomatoes, if you want to mix the critic score with the audience score and mix the two of them together and and put that into one final number – you can do that as well. It all depends on, on what you think would be best for evaluating, but those are great ways to be able to get a 1 to 100 kind of number, an average that you're going to get for an average review score across three pretty widely accepted mm-hmm. review slash audience review type of places, critic and audience review. I, I agree completely. They're very good, um, but there's also, we've actually talked about it on previous episodes, there's been accusations that Rotten Tomatoes in particular has skewed results, made movies get better reviews or even worse reviews. Um, That's why I think the average of those three yeah. is really important to keep in mind. Now, now with Metacritic, they also have a grading scale in place, like A plus, A, A minus, right? So, like I said, you'd have to get a little creative with a yeah, number out of that. I'm yeah. not, well, and who knows? This is just an idea. Maybe if it's a good idea and it gets adopted at some point by some critic that's out there listening and who knows how to work data and so forth, they can come up with this. And maybe there's something like this would set a new standard. So the A to F grade, they can quantify that or whatever. How do you judge a thumbs up and a thumbs down? Well, what rating does that get? Is it an enthusiastic thumbs up? Right. Get more credit? You know, it's just it's just an idea. It's a place to start. By the way, we would like to, in the future, use this ranking system to maybe do head-to-head kind of matchups between movies and, and sure. things like that. So. We've kept that in mind as something maybe that we would use this for in the future for future episodes of the podcast, so we'll see. I'd come up with uh, three subcategories as far as the reviews. The first one would be the critical reviews. This is when you're, you know, Siskel and Ebert kind of thing. Well, they're both gone now, so Richard Roper and uh, and so forth. Um, That would be in particular. What are the critics saying about it? Those are the ones that love the romantic movies that have been out for a long, long time, like Citizen Kane, will never get beaten in their eyes. Okay, I get it. That should matter. So what is all of those together in a melting pot? What's their average score going to be on a 1 to 100? The next one is the genre review. If you're not a big fan of action movies and you're a critic, well, it's just another dumb terrorist with a ticking clock kind of a movie. Yeah, but how does it hold up with other action movies? Look to those people, those reviews. This is We already review horror movies. This was a really good horror movie. This was a really good comedy movie. I love all comedies, even dumb comedies. Police Academy, one of the funniest movies ever, while other critics might look at it as trash. So the genre reviews matter. Most definitely. And the other one are general reviews. This is where Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb and Metacritic come in. 
Um, you know, what do the general movie going public think about it? Do they like it? Do they not like it? Quantify those numbers, put them together, and you can st- still break them down into sub numbers and come up with a number. What was the overall review? One to 100. Well, I got an 82. Well, that's, you know, there's something to like about it. Maybe it's not your cup of tea. You know, I know you haven't seen the Deadpool movies. I don't know if those are your cup of tea. They're not my cup of you, tea. You might yeah. not like them, <laughs> but that's not to say they're not good. So, Correct. So whose voice is one in a chorus? That is, eh, but there are a lot of other people, eh, and, and other ways around, and that's okay. There isn't one movie that's one size fits all. It doesn't exist. So, so the next one, anyway. Moving forward, this is where you start getting tricky. This gets really tricky. Domestic home purchases. And I, I know I raised an eyebrow a little bit when I saw this one, when you put it in there, Dave, because I was like, wait a minute. If we're going to try to put a quantitative number on this, this is going to be very hard to do. That includes... Yeah. Home media, how did it do on VHS, DVD, digital, home viewing, what are the streaming numbers for this, what about its viewership on cable, on air, and then merchandise sales as well. And these are things that are very hard to get a number for, and in this case, you're kind of taking a qualitative eye to it in order to get a quantitative number in the end. Like I said, thought put into it, but totally not thought through all the way. But they should matter. You know, some things like home viewing. When a movie comes out on HBO or Showtime, how many people are watching it? I mean, HBO does take numbers for their Sunday night premiere of the new show or whatever. How many people were watching? How many people are watching on any given run? And HBO doesn't just air the newest movies. They certainly do. But there's older movies that'll come back every so often, too. Why are those particular movies coming back? Because they're popular. People are watching them. They must know. So those numbers do exist. Now, whether they're going to release them to the public is another thing. You know, how many people are watching any given show or movie on Netflix? They haven't really released those numbers yet. No. But, I mean, is it a possibility? Yeah, are those, if those numbers do exist, will they come out of the company? Is it, you know, because right now it's technically an internet kind of a thing. A lot of people don't get the internet. Uh, Congress in particular, if you watch the Zuckerberg hearings, they don't get it. Right. So they haven't, you know, I'm not looking to regulate the internet either, but maybe there will be some sort of, um, you know, uniform kind of a thing. Streaming numbers, we need those numbers for this reason or that reason. Maybe those numbers will be released. If you would pass on this category in terms of having it in your own personal movie ranking, and this is for those who are listening, if they want to try to use a formula like this, I would say... I wouldn't hold it against you because I still think this is one that's under construction and has a lot oh, of yeah. a lot of unknowns in yeah. terms of numbers that you could pull from for this. But if numbers are available and, and you do know how well it did on DVD or on Blu-ray and, and getting released or how well its streaming numbers have been or how often it gets shown on cable or what its merchandise sales are, I think you could put a number on that and say, let's let's add this to the overall specter of what we are trying to to gauge here for these this ranking and for these movies but again this is one that is a little bit more under construction and has a little bit more openness but it it should matter i mean if you're flipping channels one night and you land on tnt and the matrix is on great movie and maybe they're halfway through the movie do you sit and watch the matrix if it's a bad movie or one that you have not seen but wanted to see are you going to watch it that to some degree however you quantify it should matter. Yeah. You know, the fact that it's a 10-year-old movie, any movie, you know, I'm not talking about The Matrix per se, um, and it's on cable or whatever, and you're flipping around and you want to watch it, well, maybe it's worth watching. This category does get a little bit difficult because yeah. of having the rights to some of these movies to be able to show them on television and, and how all of that gets passed along. But 
and and plus does showing a movie on one uh, on some obscure cable channel compared to maybe a more prominent cable channel change it as well or also on demand well that, if, that changes if, too i mean they can track ratings on cable as well and a lot of different sources how many people are watching it you know if it's a you know police academy we mentioned earlier it's looked at as a throwaway trashy movie it's actually a pretty funny movie it was one of the highest grossing movies of all time and it spawned a lot of imitators it, you know, the sequels you can make your own decisions on, but the first one was good. You can still, on any given weekend, flip around and maybe find it somewhere. There's a reason for that, and it should matter. Um, but the other one, we'll move down, uh, just kind of keep things moving along. This is where we start making up a lot of the ground, the legacy of the movie. You should get credits for the legacy of the movie. Certainly. Once again, this is one that's going to take an eye of the beholder yes. kind of thing, and you're going to have to do your own bit of assessment to put a number on this. But... It could still be done if you consider a couple of things like, does it hold records? What kind of records does it hold? Box office records, uh, Academy Awards. How did it do at the Academy Awards in terms of, of being rewarded and awarded? Yeah. Is it something that did well at, at film festivals? Um, those things. So what kind of records does it does it have and, and it stand in terms of the test of time? Is it still making money decades after the fact? And is it noticeable how much it's making money? There again, I think that could be a percentage kind of thing that you add on to to this. Maybe this is like a bonus percentage that you give to this category on the whole of what's the legacy of this movie. But that'd be a perfect one there is, is it still making money afterward? And if so, what kind of money is it making and where is it coming from? Again, 2001. You know, it's out 50 years after 50 years after it was initially released. That should matter. You yes. know, that's an important thing that should most definitely be factored in. What is its place in the public lexicon? For instance, Star Wars would would grade out, I think, as highly as you could get in terms of place in the public lexicon because it has become a part of the way we talk and the way that we do things and the way that we say things. Something something like Star Wars, which I know some people out there maybe have not even seen it still, but its influence on culture and pop culture is undeniable. Yeah. There is so much, so many. There are so many instances of this that we see around us all the time. How many times do you see references to this particular movie and maybe other movies? Or how many times has somebody said, "I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse," and don't even know that comes from The Godfather? Right. It's worked its way in. Anytime you step foot into a lake, didn't didn't jaws you know it's worked its way in that's right that should matter it's tough to quantify it it does also matter too to an extent maybe for some people if it's been made into a franchise or a spin-off or if other movies have been based on it which sometimes creates groan inducing movies that come from it but yeah hey at the end of the train especially when you look at, like, for instance, the Hall- the Halloween train, it all started back with the original, and the original was pretty groundbreaking, and so that would add to the legacy of the ri- the original being such an influential movie that, hey, there are all these duplicates, the- all of these add-ons that came after the fact. Where did it all start? It all started with the original hey, the original must have been really something if we're going to continue to add on to it, even if those movies are pretty terrible in their own right in some cases. Sometimes the movies themselves come from something else. You know, Forrest Gump is a good example. It's a book, and then they made it into a movie. And then the guy that wrote the book thought, well, let's do a sequel that's almost based off the movie. 
And so the sequel book is more about Forrest Gump having his movie made, his life made into a movie, and so he's reacting to the movie. Tom Hanks even shows up in the sequel book. It's weird. All the James Bond stories are namely books, maybe yes. not faithfully adapted, but elements taken from them. So they're part of something more than just itself, part of a franchise, a spun off of a book series, whatever. Maybe it's just the author's name, Stephen King. Anything by Stephen King, maybe with the exception of Shawshank, usually has a built-in audience for it and they're ready for it because he's pretty good author you know the dark tower they tried to release that and it did okay but you know probably the most ambitious of his works it's got to be something something bigger then there's that x factor that movies sometimes have sometimes don't once again if it's a movie that has had a place in culture and has left a legacy behind there's a good chance you're going to score well in the x factor category then too because it's got that certain thing to it that makes it really compelling. And you came up with a couple of ideas, Dave, on how we could grade out an X-Factor type of category. It's also one of those under-construction categories, but it's these things should most definitely matter. I mean, what kind of impact did it make into pop culture, You currently or past? How many Deadpool memes are out on social media right now because it's out there? Should matter. Um, how many times are, you know, uh, uh, Kelly and Ryan's talk show in the morning all got a theme to it because of whatever, how many stormtroopers are going to show up this week on good morning America to promote the launch of solo should probably matter. Um, does art imitate life or imitate art? You know, that's where the Forrest Gump thing comes in a little bit. Um, how many people are, I mean, how much is this really capturing the people's imagination? Um, that's another big thing. Does it have a cult following to it? I I think there are elements to that too. I mean, that's what helped Shawshank get to the top. I I look at other movies. I I think the cult following for fight club is unbelievable. I, that there's a movie that came to mind when I saw the X factor category, I was like, that's a movie that for some people, it's certainly not for everybody, but for some people, holy cow. Fight Club is is one of those movies that that has that X factor element to it that really gets people's attention. Yeah, and whether you know sometimes it's got its own video game thing. Like Friday the Thirteenth is a big one right now. It's got its own video game that's got people talking. Yeah, been out for a year and it's still being played big time. People will have weekends where it's summer camp weekend. They're playing 80s music. They're all dressed alike. They all show up and they're playing video games based on the movie. I think a That's pre, the thing. I think pre and post movie on the video game is a really good one to keep in mind because Lara Croft Tomb Raider, that was spawned from the video game. Yeah. Do you add a certain bit onto it from that or do you detract by saying, I didn't like the movies quite as much as the video game? That would be up to the beholder once again. Well, it's like when they have the James Bond marathon on Dr. No all by itself. It's the first Bond movie came out in 1962. You know, if that was the only one, would it still be shown today? I mean, it's an okay movie, but it's not amazing. It didn't quite come up with the Bond formula by that point. But because it's part of something larger, it's more than the sum of its parts. Correct. And that's a bigger part. But the other thing that you also have to factor in is on track compared to dot, dot, dot. So let's say you're trying to come up with some, you know, real good metadata here to figure out how movies are. Movies that have been out for 10, 20, 30 years, it's pretty easy to get a lot of that data that's available anyway and really come up with some good concrete numbers. So how does a newer movie stack into that pyramid and how do you do that? Well, Deadpool 2, let's take it's the biggest, most recent new release movie. Well, it's got numbers like this. It's getting reviews like this. When you come up with enough data of movies that have come out, it's going to be something that is easier to quantify. Well, it 
compares to this movie. So if this movie's on track for such and such, then Deadpool 2 could conceivably go like this. And sure, there's a math nut out there that can come up with numbers to quantify it. So it's projected. You can put a big asterisk next to it and figure it out. But it's got box office like this. It's got reviews like this. It's got pop culture like this. You can come up with parallels and find a common trajectory and say it's not unreasonable to suspect that this could be part of it. So that's our last category, well, X-Factor. Another thing I would work in, I didn't put it in though, would be how dated is the movie, particularly for older movies. Like uh, if you throw on, if you're watching movies nowadays with CGI and really good special effects, what happens when you throw in an old version of Clash of the Titans? And I mean the original Harry Hamlin one from 1980. The, the animation was stop-go clay animation, which was really cool in the day, but doesn't really hold up to today. It's a much superior movie to the newer Clash of the Titans, it's a great movie. But does it look dated? I mean, the Lethal Weapon movies were really, really good. Oh, and then Mel Gibson went off the rails. So is it harder to watch Lethal Weapon now with Mel Gibson now? No, I think you need to grade and step into the time that that movie came out. And you need to, once again, that's going to require some personal thought to go into this. And, and that's where the data might sure. be a little bit different with people. But I think it does require stepping into the time of the movie and when it was released as much as possible. But how how easy is it to watch now? I'll give you an example, and I don't want to get too controversial, but you know, when I grew up, Bill Cosby was a big part of my youth. The Cosby right. show was big. His comedy was really big. The perception of him has changed just a little bit that in the last couple of years. That does impact it, yeah. So how much are you going to want to go back and put in your old Cosby show box set? Or go watch Fat Albert, or you know Cosby used to do the the picture pages with kids. Maybe you bought it as an educational program for your kids. Maybe that's before your time. Maybe you don't want to watch that now because it's got Bill Cosby on it. Does that affect? Should it matter? You know, would you watch a Roman Polanski movie? You know, both of those guys just got thrown out of the academy for that stuff. You know, should that be a factor? And that's not a decision. That's a question. You know, think how well has it dated for one reason or another? Special effects advancements, movie star scandals, perhaps something along those lines. I want to to conclude this episode with with one last thought yeah. here regarding the ranking system. Perhaps there are some out there who are listening to this episode and going, "Well, this is silly." As much as you guys are trying to come up with a quantitative movie ranking system that is going to put a number on on a movie, this still doesn't fully successfully no. put a good number on a movie. And the answer that I would have to that is, "You're right. You are right about that." However, much like assessing movies in general when it comes to critical response and when it comes to personal response to movies, even when it comes to quantitatively trying to put a number on a movie, it doesn't fully grasp the movie, I don't think. You can do as best a job as you can taking the numbers that are out there plus a little bit of critical thinking and thought into trying to put a number into a category like What's the legacy of this movie? And yet there is still going to be assessment that will be different of how it's done based on who the person is. And maybe you're looking at this ranking and going, well, I've got this idea and that idea. And to that I would say, come up with it on your own. One of the best suggestions I was ever given by a good friend of mine who was a film student at the same college as me, he told me, you should rank your favorite movies. And I was like, really? You rank yours? And he's like, I do. I rank all of them. And I was like, that that seems like it's a lot. That seems kind of extreme. But I did. 
I went back then and I ranked my favorite movies out. And it was extremely fun to do. It was fun to compare side by side with this movie and this movie and say, okay, where would I rank The Dark Knight compared to The Shawshank Redemption? Or where would I rank my two favorite sports movies, Hoosiers versus Chariots of Fire? How would I put the two of those together and try to rank between the two of them? A ranking system like this, even a quantitative one, is still enjoyable to do because it at least allows you to maybe work toward separating one movie from another. And you might have a different formula on how to do it. But if if your goal is to try to do a fair comparison of two movies, then whether you're using our formula and you think it works or you think our formula is silly and you want to try to come up with your own, it's proof that when it comes to a piece of art, just like with a a, a painting of some kind, movies get seen in such different ways. How often have I said it in this episode? The eye of the beholder. Movies get seen in such different ways. The goal is talking about it, trying to come up with ideas on how this movie is separate from this movie. And this helps maybe work toward that end. But at the end of the day, it is still there is still quite a quite a specter in terms of how one person sees it might be very different from how another person sees it. But that's part of what you get with movies, um, even when you do try to put numbers to it. This is not designed to be the period at the end of the debate. This is not intended to end the debate. This is intended to give you a better perspective on what the movie has to offer. Um, it's not intended to be something to help promote it on release because it's hard to do that at that point. It's almost impossible at that point. The movie has to be out and has to be seen before you can really start putting some good numbers to it for something like this. This is about pulling out a movie that you've heard about or maybe you've never heard about, but is it worth watching? You know, I would love to see something like that. How many movies have I seen on Netflix that, eh, that wasn't very good? We got 10 minutes in and we're like, yeah, we're done. And go to the next one. You know, it'd be nice to have some sort of a critic system like this where you can look at an overall number and then open that up a little bit and take a look at where its strengths are. Everybody likes this movie, but not everyone's going to like this movie. It's not one size fits all. You know, if I'm talking about the greatest movies ever made, we can always work our way back to Star Wars, so might as well. I would insist you got to see the original. Now, if you like it, go from there. And if you don't, then don't go from there. But you need to see the original and understand what impact it had in movies ever since. That's a big, big thing of it. So it's not a debate ender. It's a debate, um, and it's not even really designed to compare and rank movies. You can certainly do that. But it's designed to give you an impression as to what you really have in your hands. You can't just go off box office. You can't just go off the critical darling reviews because not everyone's going to like popping in an old black and white movie. you got to look at more data than that the legacy factors the the x factors and that's why they are such an important part of adding that on to a ranking system well there's there's an x factor in all movies when gus van sant reshot psycho shot for shot angle for angle and the line the it was exactly a remake in every possible way as to the numbers as it could be but it wasn't a good movie why not? They did everything exactly the same way because sometimes you capture and sometimes you don't capture. There's your negative X factor. There's your, okay, slap a 20% decline on this in terms of whatever your final number you came up with was. It was the same script, same same everything. Great cast, but it just didn't have it. Gus Van Zandt is a very capable director. He's not Hitchcock, but something was lost in the translation. That should matter. It would be interesting to look at 
1960 Psycho and the 1998 or whatever year that was Psycho and put them side by side and where did it really fall off? Yeah. You know, so there's something special about a particular movie. You sometimes can't capture lightning in a bottle twice. Take a look at Speed and Speed 2. Virtually the same movie, but not. Hopefully at some point we can apply this ranking system a little bit, maybe in particular as we look at some older movies that maybe this generation hasn't gotten a grasp on and maybe should consider doing a little bit more, but we'll keep this in mind for the future. So it's inclined, This is designed really just to be a talking point. And if it somebody is. really decides to pull this into the real world and come up with this and you know fine-tune the parts that we just only kind of finally brushed over, by all means, go ahead, have at it. Give yes. us a little credit. That's fine. We're not looking to make a payout. But uh, it's a good way that if you're going to really, I don't know if I've heard about this movie. Let's check it out. This might give you something better to give you a better idea of what exactly you're going to be looking at. It gives some due yeah. to those movies. Yeah. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks has been sponsored by the Bemidji Theater. I know I'm going to be at the Bemidji Theater later on this week to go see Solo, A Star Wars Story. Don't forget, $5 movie nights on Tuesdays. Lots of current movies that are out at the Bemidji Theater located just across from the airport on Highway 2 or just a little bit down from the airport on Highway 2. That'll do it for today. I'm gearing up for Solo here at the end of this week. Looking forward to getting back into the theater and going to check that out. So I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you at the movies.